Who would this morning turn back with me to the fifth chapter of the Gospel of Matthew? Matthew chapter 5. I'd like to read verses 10 through 12. Matthew chapter 5. Jesus says, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He says, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say, shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. And Jesus says, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. There's a part of me that as I read through the Beatitudes, when I see, you know, happy is the person that's poor in spirit, I can understand that. Uh, I know that I'm, uh, I have nothing to offer the Lord of my own nature that would be pleasing to him, but I realize that in Jesus I have a great wealth, and so I'm thankful that I can see my undoneness, but how complete I am in him. Uh, I can see the blessing of one who mourns over their sin. I can understand happy are the meek, <laughs> and happy are they which hunger and thirst after the righteousness, and happy are the merciful, happy are the pure in heart, blessed are the peacemakers. But these two, verses 10 and 11, those ones, those are a little more difficult. Jesus says, happy are they which are persecuted. First of all, he said, for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Their blessing is that they are part of God's kingdom. Then he says, blessed are ye. So he says, blessed are they. But now he makes it very personal to the disciples. He said, blessed are ye. When men shall revile you and persecute you and say, all manner of evil against you, notice, for my sake. He said, before it's for righteousness' sake. He said, this is for my sake. He says, rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. And notice this, he says, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Jesus says, you're in good company. He says, if they've persecuted you, there's many that went before you that they also persecuted. Now, we live in a nation that, thank God, that when it was established, one of the main purposes for the establishment of this nation was the freedom of religion so that you and I could express what we believe both in how we live our lives and also in trying to convert others to the same way. See, men have lived throughout history where that has not been the case and not just New Testament history. You go to Old Testament history when the children of Israel were in bondage in Babylon and even before that in bondage in Egypt, they were hard-pressed because of the things that they believed and the God specifically that they believed in. In fact, when the children of Israel were conquered by Nebuchadnezzar, one of the chief things that the Chaldeans, the Babylonians thought was the whole reason that they were able to conquer them was their gods were better than the God of Israel. Well, God would later show them that was not the case. God used the Babylonians to punish the children of Israel, but it wasn't because their gods were better than the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So here the Lord... Now, 
In the Word of God, Jesus has never tried to sugarcoat anything. As I've said before, Jesus was a Savior, full disclosure. Remember in John 14, he says, In my Father's house are many mansions. And he goes on to say, If it were not so, I would have told you. He says, I'll be honest with you. John, the 16th chapter, he says, In this world ye shall have tribulations, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Jesus would say in the 15th chapter of John's gospel, he says that they would hate the disciples. He says, because they hate me. So Jesus never tried to uh, downplay what it would be to be a Christian. Now, again, in our nation, we really don't know persecution like many have throughout history. But even Jesus in these verses lets us know there's more than one way in which a person can be persecuted. He says, blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness sake, which would lead its thought to uh, physical oppression and maybe even death. But then he goes on in verse 11, says, blessed are you when men shall revile you. That means when they shall hate you. And he says, and persecute you and also say all manner of evil against you falsely. They may say things about you that just aren't true. That's one form of persecution that the Lord tells the disciples about. I've experienced that one. I know what that one feels like. And, you know, it's not enjoyable either. I've never been physically harmed because of my uh, testimony in the Lord Jesus Christ. But I have been maligned because of my desire to try to live a godly life and a life that honors the Lord Jesus Christ. So I've experienced that in some form. So Jesus, again, he makes it very clear that this may very well happen in our lives. But he says, blessed if this does occur. Happy is this individual. And we have examples in the scriptures where individuals suffered persecution and yet they were blessed. They were happy in the midst of it. When Paul and Silas were in prison for preaching the gospel, what were they doing at midnight? Were they up complaining and saying, you know, this was just not worth it. Uh, serving the Lord Jesus Christ was not worth what we're experiencing. That's not what they did. At midnight, they sang praises. They sang hymns. And, of course, as you recall, we'll find that they were <laughs> loosed from prison uh, there as they were at uh, uh, Philippi in uh, Acts chapter 16. But notice their reaction to the fact that, you know, Paul had preached, Silas had preached. They'd been put in prison and not kindly so. You know, they weren't read their Miranda rights and make sure that uh, they were not abused. They were beaten. They had stripes upon their body. And here they are cast into a prison, their wounds unattended. Uh, they didn't have the rights that we have today. They weren't, uh, I mean, today, obviously, uh, law enforcement is supposed to be very careful in how a criminal is uh, subdued and arrested and uh, even kept in jail until trial and then even in prison. They have rights uh, even after they've committed crimes. But in that day and time, not so much. Uh, those rights were not observed. And even Paul, now there was a time when Paul was beaten and he brought to their attention that they had just beaten a Roman citizen and they were very fearful because they hadn't followed the law in which to do it. But anyway, the, the apostles, they were happy. Here he was with Silas singing in the middle of prison, his body bruised and beaten. This isn't the first time we read in the fourth chapter of the book of Acts that the apostle Peter and John after they'd gone in Acts 3 up to the temple at the hour of prayer together, they met that man at the gate called Beautiful, and 
you know, he begged alms. He couldn't walk. He couldn't work. And so he begged alms of them. And Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And immediately he received strength and he leapt, the Bible says, as he went in to the temple of God. And then those apostles were called into question in Acts chapter 4 by the Pharisees, the scribes, and the elders of that day. And uh, the apostle Peter made it very clear that uh, they could only speak the things which they had seen and heard. And so the Bible says they threatened them and let them go. So immediately they go to where the church is and they rehearse what happens to the church and they still continue preaching. There's great rejoicing. You'll find in Acts chapter 4 at the end of that many people believe and then in Acts chapter 5, they're arrested a second time. Uh, why? Because they went on preaching. Those, they were threatened. They were, said, they, they were told, don't speak in this man's name anymore. Well, Peter and John, they went right out of that place, immediately speaking the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So in the fifth chapter of Acts, when they're arrested the second time, obviously those Jewish leaders realized the only way to stop this is to put these men to death. Uh, we threatened them and that didn't work. So if we kill them, that will put an end to this. But thankfully there was by the providence of God, one there by the name of Gamaliel who stood up and, and reminded them about individuals that had risen with different doctrines before and drawn men after. He says, if this is of the Lord, we can't stop it. If it's of men, it'll fall apart on its own. And so he admonished them uh, not to murder those men. And this time it says, after they had beaten them, they let them go. They were going to be put to death. You say, well, you know, they were happy because they didn't die. That's not what it says. It says that they were happy, they rejoiced. Why? Because they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. They didn't say, you know what, we could have died, but we live. So we're happy. that's not why they were happy. They were happy because they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. If it was outlawed in the nation today, if Christianity was banned from coast to coast, if our Bill of Rights were shredded and the laws that protect us were removed, and I tell you what, if in the moment that that happens, if it does, and it may, I guarantee you there are already people in this world today, right now, in our nation, that hate Jesus so much and hate you and me for what we believe about Jesus, that if the restraints of law were removed, we would begin to see persecution immediately. It would not take a generation or a while. There's already those that would begin automatically as soon as it was, and I'll tell a story in just a moment. But anyway, if, if that happened, if the laws that protect us were removed, and you and I were arrested for being Christians, Think about this from, would there be enough evidence if you were brought before a court of law, would there be enough evidence against you to convict you? I mean, I hope I've lived in such a way that there's abundant evidence that if I were charged with being a Christian, that I would, I would number one, I would plead guilty with my words, but I hope that there would be enough, I know there'd be enough witnesses that they could bring to the trial Enough things that I have said. I mean, obviously there's sermons all over the internet uh, that exist. Uh, 
But I also hope that in the world in which I live and the people that surround me in the community would know and they could be brought to the witness stand and say, I have seen this man be merciful. I have seen this man when reviled, revile not again. I have seen him do the things that Jesus taught his disciples to do. Would we be convicted uh, if the charge of Christianity was laid against us? I hope we would be. And I hope the day never comes that those freedoms that we have are taken away. I hope that doesn't occur. But if it does, Jesus has just said, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. See, we have to understand and get the perspective that this world is not home. And if we realize, see, the apostles understood that. They lived so near to the Lord Jesus Christ at the time that he was on this earth that they longed for the day in which they would be with him. So they were not fearful uh, of the things that were coming against them. Uh, they counted themselves happy uh, when persecution came against them. Think about Paul the apostle in the 20th chapter of the book of Acts as he met with the elders of Ephesus at the coastal city of Miletus. And he let them know that this he realized. He says, I don't know what shall befall me. He says, all I know is God has showed me that wherever I go, bonds and afflictions abide me. And then in Acts chapter 21, when the prophet Agabus comes and binds Paul with his girdle and says that if you go to Jerusalem, they'll bind you there as well. And Paul says, whether they bind me or put me to death, he says, I must go. He was not going to be deterred from what he believed to be the will of God in his life. And even though there were men of God that loved him and men of God that were being shown things by God that were going to occur to him. Paul says, I cannot let that distract me from what God has called me to do. And in fact, as you read all over uh, Paul's writings, you almost get the sense uh, that he almost enjoyed the suffering. Now he did. He wasn't a masochist. He didn't enjoy the pain. But what he did enjoy is he recognized that every time he was beaten, when he was stoned and left for dead, when he was in perils of all those things he described in 2 Corinthians 11, you know what he understood? He said, I am bearing in my body a little of what Jesus bore in his body for me. That's what he says in Philippians chapter 3 when he says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection being made conformable to his death. You know, he would say to the Galatians, he says that... Uh, that I'm not going to glory save in the cross of Christ. Say, so, well, and when he says that, Paul's not saying, you know, I'm walking around with a gold uh, chain and a gold cross hanging around. That's not the way Paul was glorying in the cross. The way Paul was glorying, he says, for by the cross, the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Paul's saying by the Reality that I am a follower of the Lord, Lord Jesus Christ. And I glory in what Christ has done for me. He says that reality crucifies me to the world and the world to me. And so Paul says my glorying, if I'm going to glory in anything, I'm going to glory in the cross of Christ. And so Paul was not ashamed. In fact, he made it very clear. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of Christ. He said, now be not ashamed of me, his prisoner. Uh, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the things uh, that Jesus has said or done. And I'm not ashamed to be associated with him. So in Acts chapter 20 and 21, when those men were trying to convince Paul not to go to Jerusalem, Agabus was right. Paul was bound there. 
He was arrested. He wasn't slain there. They would have if they could. But God stepped in and he ends up down at Caesarea. And from there, he ends up at Rome. And there he has an audience with all the house of Caesar. And eventually he's put to death for no other reason than he loves the Lord Jesus Christ. We find in first, excuse me, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Paul says in verse 10, he says, Thou hast fully known my doctrine, what I teach. He says, my manner of life, my purpose, my faith, my long-suffering, my charity, my patience. He says, you've fully known this, Timothy. He says, but, and all that sounds good, okay, I know what you taught, Paul. I know how you lived. I knew what your purpose was as you have lived. Yes, I've seen the great faith that you have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, Paul, I've seen you very long-suffering when men would do you evil. I saw that. I saw your charity. I saw how that you labored with your own hands for your necessities and those that were with you. I saw your patience. But Paul says, you've also seen my persecutions, my afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all, notice this, the Lord delivered me. Verse 12 says, yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. He says, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And that's one of the reasons that all they that live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution is because there are evil men and seducers that are just waxing worse and worse. Now, I, I mentioned a while ago about persecution in present day. Um, I know of an individual that a number of years ago began to see the doctrines of grace. This individual's family, though, is very well known in their community. They're part of another order of people. Uh, they believe a doctrine different than what we believe. They practice things differently than we practice. And where they go to church, it's not only the things they believe, it's very social for their family. And they're very well esteemed in their church and community because of their standing in that particular denomination of churches. Well, one individual in that family began to see the doctrines of grace. When this individual began to attend an old Baptist church, that individual never knew when they got back home what they were going to walk into. There were times that when that individual would get back home, the house would be completely destroyed on the interior. Because their spouse was so enraged that this person was at the house of God that believes like you and I believe and practices like you and I practice. That they were so enraged at that, that this person, that the persecution that that poor individual experienced, I can't even begin to imagine or even describe. It was described to me just recently. To the point, finally, this individual just yielded and said, if we can just have peace in our home, I'll stop going there. And sadly, this person has turned uh, their back upon the kingdom of God uh, just simply to have a measure of peace in their home. I was asked whether or not God would uh, be merciful to that. I said, I believe he'll be merciful to that to probably an extent. But 
obviously somebody who uh, has known the truth and turns away from that, they'll soon forget that they were purged from their own sins. Would to God that this individual would have had the fortitude to withstand and continue forward. But under, under, it happens. Even Jesus said, think not, I am come to send peace. Now, Jesus, when he came into the world, those angels, they said, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. There is peace that Jesus brought for those who believe, those who understand, those who will honor him. But he says, those who will not, he says, I didn't come to send peace. In other words, Jesus says, I didn't come to compromise with everybody and everything in order for things to just be okay and us all to get along. Jesus never one time in his earthly ministry, in his life on earth, compromised the principles of godliness. He never compromised the truth of the kingdom of God. He never compromised who he was. Uh, he never compromised his holiness, his righteousness, uh, and all the things about him. He would not give one inch out of the wicked of this world. And so he says, think not that I am come to send peace on the earth. He says, but a sword. He says, I am come to set at variance. What does that mean? He says, I am come to bring contradiction and division, he says, between uh, cities. Uh, he says, between father and son, between husband and wife, between parents and children. He says, all, he says, there's going to be, and think of it, among the Jewish society, when somebody embraced Judaism, think about in John, the ninth chapter, when that man who was born blind was blessed to see, and they questioned him, and then they questioned his parents. What did the parents do? He's of age. Ask him. Why'd they do that? Because they were afraid they would be cast out of the synagogue. And so the man born blind, uh, he says, whether he'd be a sinner or no, he says, I don't know. He says, one thing I know, <laughs> whereas I was blind, now I see. You know, he kept making further confession about the Son of God till finally he knew who the Son of God was. You know, when he was blind and Jesus healed him, Jesus told him to go and wash in the pool of Siloam, and he did. He hadn't seen Jesus yet. So even when Jesus comes to him after his confession, he hadn't laid eyes on him yet. And he finally is introduced to the Son of God and, of course, becomes a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. But his mother and father, they weren't willing to stand up and I mean, think about that, a son born blind. Now, when they said he's of age, that indicates he must have been about 30 because to be of age among the uh, Jewish uh, society would be about age 30. So I assume that he was about 30 years of age uh, or they're close to. And so they would you, though, think about it. <laughs> the Lord blesses. You have a child that's been blind for decades and then is blessed to see. But you're so afraid. See, to be cast out of the synagogue didn't, you know, when we exclude somebody uh, from the household of faith, when we still see them in the community, we try to be kind and we want to see them restored. We want to see them reconciled to truth and the right way of life and back to the house of God. But when they were cast out of the synagogue, they couldn't come to family reunions. They couldn't go to mom and daddy's house and sit down for a meal because mom and daddy now could be cast out of the synagogue. They could not buy from another Jewish person because that Jewish person would lose their business. They couldn't sell uh, to any Jew because those that bought would be persecuted for it. I mean, they were very serious about any infraction. And if you went away from Judaism, they cut you off completely. And so Jesus said, if you're going to serve me and follow me, there are going to be consequences for this. 
Again, we live in an era where the consequences for us are far lighter than what they were for our forebears, but the day may come where that may not be the case. And here again, the apostle makes it clear. He says, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Again, it may just be that they will revile you and say all manner of evil against you unjustly. It may not be true. They may do that. They may say things about, make up things about you that are not so. I know it's happened in my life. Many of you, it's happened in yours. That's just the way it is. Jesus, I love Matthew 1.21. He shall save his people from their sins. You understand that the Greek word for the shall there is the very same one as in this verse. As strong as the shall is, if he shall save his people from their sins, it's just as strong that they that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. In 1 Peter chapter 2, the apostle Peter, who was no stranger to persecution, he says in verse 19, this is thinkworthy. If a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. Notice that again. This is thankworthy, worthy of thanks. This is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it if when you be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently. But if when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. That's just Peter's way of saying, if you suffer because you've done wrong, and you're patient about that. He says, really you ought to be because you did wrong to start with. You know, the last time that I got a ticket for driving too fast was in Pinecrest. I know when it was because we were in the process of buying our home. So it was over eight years ago. I was going from Plant City down here to the office. There was a document I needed here for our mortgage broker. And so I was in a hurry. And as I came through Pinecrest, they had a speed trap set. And I thought, I got to remember that as I'm going back. I forgot. I was in a hurry. I had to get back to the mortgage. I had another appointment. Things were going on that day, and I just forgot. And so, you know, as you get to Pinecrest, it goes from 45, 55, 45 to 35. I got to 35, and I was still doing about 60. <laughs> and a captain with the Hillsborough County Sheriff's Department pulled me over. Uh, I knew that. He was in a pickup, and he was wearing a white shirt. He wasn't wearing them. I'm like, well, I'm not getting out of this one. There's no way when there's a speed trap set up and they got 10 or 12 cops out that you're not talking your way out of that ticket. Now, he was very gracious in this. He says, I'm just going to mark it as nine over. Uh, that way the bill's not as high. And I said, I appreciate that. And so as he comes up to the window, uh, I just immediately said, I'm sorry. I distracted. I'll, I'll wait here while you write it. Uh, we had another funny encounter. Uh, I, in Texas, it's law that if you carry, that you have to show them your carry conceal license. And so I'm just used to doing that. He said, well, are you carrying one? I said, I am. I said, it's over in the glove box. He said, do you mind leaving it there? I said, as long as you leave yours where it is, I'll be leave, leave mine where it is. And he had a good life. Anyway, I was patient. I was kind because I was wrong. <laughs> I knew I was wrong. I could get upset and I could yell and scream at him. And I've talked to officers that have had people do that as though, you know, treating an officer unkindly is going to get you out of it. Now, prior to that ticket, I'm, I kid you not, I was stopped 12 times in a row and 12 times. And even to, I never got a ticket <laughs> a dozen times. Well, fine, number 13. And if you believe 13 is unlucky, I guess that proved it to be so. I don't believe in such. But anyway, 12 times in a row, I got You know how I got out of it, though? I was honest and I was kind. 
I got out of it. But that time I knew I wasn't. So, you know, I suffered a little bit there. I had to write a check, and it was a pretty big check, and I didn't like it, but I, it was my fault. But here Peter says, you know, if you're buffeted for your faults, what glory is it if you take it patiently? He says, but if you do well, if you're doing what's right and suffer for it and you take it patiently, he said, this is acceptable to God. He says, this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief suffering wrongly or wrongfully. Think back to Daniel in the book of Daniel, the sixth chapter. Daniel was one of the princes to the king. In fact, he was the chief prince. His wisdom was so great that the king over uh, the Medo-Persian Empire recognized Daniel. God had, God had exalted him and magnified him in the mind of the king, and rightfully so. And there were natives of the land that were jealous of Daniel. They wanted his position. See, be very careful about wanting certain positions because the higher up you go, there's other people that want that position too. And a lot of folks will do just about whatever it takes to get that position. Uh, they don't mind who they step on and who they uh, malign and who they speak evil of to get to that position. So be very careful. Um, there's a reason I've, I enjoy politics. If I had gone for a degree, one of the degrees I probably would have sought after would have been a political science degree because I enjoy politics. Uh, I enjoy politics. I enjoy the nature. Now, when I talk about, I mean in its purity, not in what we now know it to be. Um, but there's no way I'm going to run for political office. I'm not running for school board. I'm not running for county commissioner. I'm not running uh, for the legislature. I'm not uh, local, federal, state, none of it. <laughs> Why? Because I really, look what's happened over the last few years uh, to politicians when people hate them. I mean, just imagine what would occur. Well, I'm not going to give them a, another target to shoot at. So anyway, here is Daniel, though. He, he didn't ask for the position. He was just blessed to live a godly life. And because of that, the king saw his wisdom and the king elevated him. And those men, they hated Daniel. They hated him badly. And they, they looked for everything to find something on him. And you know what they finally said? The only thing we're going to get him on is concerning his God. He's so faithful. We can't find anything else on him. So here's what we're going to do. So they go to the king. And the king was not wise. And they convinced that king to make a decree that it's the law that none could pray to anybody but to that king. What's Daniel going to do? The king that basically now Daniel's the closest man this king has to him as a friend and a confidant and an uh, advisor. And now this king has just passed a law that Daniel can only pray to him. I don't know how that's really enforceable. Except Daniel, here's what Daniel does. He did as his custom was. He did as he did aforetime, it says in Daniel. In other words, he just didn't change. Now, he didn't get up poster boards and staple them to stakes and write up with markers saying uh, it's lawful to pray to God and march around the nation. He didn't go out and march. He didn't go out and make a fuss about it. He just did as he always had done. What was his custom? Three times a day, he went up to his room, looked out his window towards Jerusalem, and he prayed to his God. 
He's just broken the law. Well, they find out about it. They know he's doing as he's always done. And so they come and report it to the king. Well, what is the consequence for this action? Well, the consequence, according to the king's law, is that this individual has to be thrown into a lion's den. And so because this man loved God more than he loved that king that had been so gracious to him in so many ways, here you have these wicked men, evil men, who were waxing worse and worse because they hated Daniel, because Daniel occupied a position they wanted to occupy. And so here they convinced the king to pass a law against Daniel's religion, essentially, so that Daniel couldn't help but break the law. He was going to break one of two laws, the law of God or the law of the king. Well, he loved the Lord more than he loved the king, so he broke the king's law. Well, the consequence is this. The, Mesop- uh, the Medo-Persian Empire, they had a law that once a king issued an order, uh, once a, a law was passed, even the king himself could not undo it. That foolish king, he knew immediately he had done wrong. There was no way to get out of it. Daniel has to go to the lion's den. From all appearances, Daniel had a good night. The Lord closed the mouths of those lions. You know who didn't have a good night? That king. All night long, that king knew he had been duped. All night long, that king knew he had been tricked. And all night long, he worried and uh, tossed and turned about Daniel. He loved Daniel and he knew that he had done Daniel wrong and so he felt terrible about it and so he didn't sleep all night long and so the next morning uh, the king comes to where Daniel is and he says, is your God able? And he says, long live the king. My God is a... And of course that king just rejoices and Daniel is taken out of the den of lions and what happens? Uh, we found that those men that concocted that law and tricked that king all to depose Daniel from his position, they were thrown in. And those lions that were not hungry a bit all night long devoured those men. You know, the Bible is clear not to set a trap for another man. Don't dig a hole for a man. Don't dig a pit hoping he'll fall in to try to ensnare. Just like uh, <coughs> um, also found in the book of Daniel when Haman... Uh, no, that's in the book of Esther, excuse me. When Haman uh, wanted done with uh, uh, Mordecai, because Mordecai, again, was a man that would not rise up and honor him because he honored the Lord. Haman, he drew up a plan to destroy the Lord's man. Well, <laughs> Haman hung on his own gallows. Uh, so be careful trying to trip somebody up because the Lord may use the very thing Remember what Isaiah says, no weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. Anyway, so Daniel, he, he does the right thing and he rejoices. So again, he says, for this is thankworthy of a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it if when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently. But if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently. This is acceptable with God. When you get home this afternoon or sometime this week, if this sermon comes back to your mind, Google men and women in history that have been put to death for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And some of the things they said as they were going to their death. Just Google some of those. You'll be amazed. I have read accounts where men literally ran to the executioner. Where men actually thanked the man that was about to take their life because they knew they were about to be home. You know what they were doing? With patience. 
Zebras were individuals that they weren't grudging about it. They weren't, they just, they took it patiently. Why? Because this is acceptable with God. He says, for even here in two were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who did no sin. Neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. So how did Jesus behave? Did he do anything wrong? Did he deserve any of the things that happened to him? Obviously not. Notice again, he said, who did no sin. He says, you and I were called. Uh, Jesus suffered for us. And because of that, you and I are called to suffering. And he says, and when that happens, we have no reason to complain because Jesus, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, he reviled not again. If there was anybody that had right to say anything, it would have been the Lord Jesus Christ. But he never did. But notice what he did do. He committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Now look at chapter 4 for just a moment. He says in verse 12 of chapter 4, he says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. Now this doesn't necessarily mean persecution. This may just be the afflictions and trials of life. But it can also include uh, being afflicted for the gospel's sake. So notice again, Peter says, um, Beloved, don't think it's strange. Think it not strange. Concerning the fiery trial, notice the language, which is to try you. The fiery trial, under the, consideration, the word there, it means the refining fire. What is refining fire? It's that which puts away impurities. So every one of us have impurities, and so there are trials that are going to try us. So he said, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. He says, But rejoice, inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings. Think about that for a moment. Rejoice, inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings. I obviously don't want to go through what Jesus went through. But if I stop and ponder and consider it and contemplate it, everything that he endured, he certainly didn't deserve. And everything that he encountered at the hands of wicked men was because of our wickedness. And so if you and I suffer some in this world, we're only bearing a little part of the whole which he bore for us. And so again, he says, rejoice in as much as ye are partakers that be happy. Blessed, as Jesus had already said in Matthew chapter 5, 10, 11, and 12. He says, Rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. He says, If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. So if this does happen in your life, notice again, if you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. I trust that the day comes that you and I were to face some of the things that our forebears of the faith have faced. I trust 
us that the glory and the Spirit of God will rest upon us. Uh, he will be with us in those moments when the uh, fiery trial of affliction comes. I believe He'll walk with us in the fire. Uh, when the floods try to overwhelm us, I believe He'll sustain us in the floods of affliction. He will not forsake us and leave us alone. Uh, he didn't do so in the case of Stephen, did He? In Acts chapter 7, when uh, Stephen was called to question and they accused him of maligning of the house of God and the law of Moses. What does Stephen do? His face was changed as the face of an angel and he began to preach to those men the history of the children of Israel uh, showing how Christ was that prophet. He says, But ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. <laughs> he says, Here's your problem. You're uncircumcised in your heart and also in your ears. He says, what prophet did you not persecute and put to death? Or your father's not persecuted and put to death that spoke of that just one? He says, which ye have crucified and murdered. Boy, when they heard that, that's all those wicked men could take. He's called them stiff-necked, uncircumcised. And he says, and your fathers persecuted and put to death all the prophets that spoke of the just one that you have just crucified and murdered. And it says it cut them to the heart. And they rushed on him and gnashed on him with their teeth. And then they took up stones and they stoned this man. Why? He, because he preached the truth to them and they could not stand the words that this man spoke and they could not stand the boldness and the courage that he had in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so here they are in hatred and malice uh, wanting this man put to death and they take up stones and began to stone this man. And the Bible says that heaven was opened and he looked up steadfastly into heaven and he saw the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And I love how the Bible describes that he fell on sleep. Notice how peaceful that's described. I mean, here he is in the torment of these wicked men stoning him to death. I mean, I can't even fathom what that would be like, being stoned to death, stones being cast at you till finally you die. But it just says he fell on sleep. Here's all this turmoil going on outside of him. But in his mind and heart, he's just seen Jesus standing on the right hand of God and he Falls on sleep. What happened there? Jesus, he stepped in. Just like I believe he'll do for you and I. But anyway, he says, If you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. Do you think God's going to just ignore in the moment that you're suffering when others speak evil of him, but you're glorifying him and what you're doing and saying he's not going to ignore that, I promise you. He says, but let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. You say, well, I've never done, I've never murdered anybody. I've never stolen. Yeah, but we've all been evildoers in some way. We've probably been busybodies in other men's matters. He says, we're not to suffer that way. He says, yet if any man suffer as a Christian. One of two times that word is found in the word of God. The Bible lets us know. Uh, 14th chapter of the book of Acts, I believe it is, that they were first called Christians at Antioch. They didn't call themselves Christians. They were first called Christians at Antioch. But here it says, if any man suffer as a Christian, meaning behaving like the Lord Jesus Christ, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf 
And then notice verse 19. Wherefore let them that suffer according to the will of God. You may say, well, why would God allow that? Well, why did God allow his son to go through what he did? There are men in this world, I've already said, that if the laws were changed in an instant, they would be after us. That's just the way it is. There are even people under the banner of Christianity that hate us. I've told you about an individual that not long ago asked to be removed from the membership of an old Baptist church just so there could be some peace in their home. That person knew what it was to suffer, to be afflicted, to go through. So it it may happen. It does happen. Now he says, we're not to suffer unrighteously. We're not to suffer as a murderer, as an evildoer. We're not to suffer wrongfully. I mean, suffering for doing wrong. He says, but let those that suffer according to the will of God. There are wicked men that are going to at times come against us and And it may be that it is the will of God that that's how you leave this world. I don't know. But he says, if you find yourself in that circumstance, that you are standing for the truth, you're standing for the Lord Jesus Christ whom you love. He says, notice this. We're to commit the keeping of our souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. What did Jesus do? Jesus, when he was reviled, he committed himself to him, meaning God, who judges righteously. What should you and I do if we're persecuted for righteousness sake? Commit the keeping of our souls. Jesus taught while he was here in this world, he says, if men hate us and want to destroy us, there's only one thing they can do. They can destroy our bodies. And we're not to be afraid of them. He says, fear not them that can destroy the body. He said, but rather fear God, who is able to destroy both the body and soul with the fires of hell. So here Peter just says, Jesus, when he was reviled, he committed himself to him that judges righteously. What are you and I supposed to do if we face that? We're to commit the keeping of our souls. We're to trust that God will take care of our life. We're to trust the, uh, entrust the keeping of, uh, we're to... <laughs> Give over to the Lord, basically. And trust to him as unto a faithful creator. If he could make this world, he can take care of our life. So again, Jesus says, blessed are they who are persecuted for righteousness sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Then he says, blessed are ye when men persecute you and revile you. And say all manner of evil against you. He says for. That's what happened to the prophets. Those men were abused. Maligned. Mistreated. And murdered. Why? Because they simply tried to follow the Lord. Again I hope that your life is blessed with happiness. So that you never have to go through those things. Hopefully we only experience the earlier beatitudes. And after, never have to deal with those last two. But if those last two come, Jesus didn't say that just to be using up space in the Bible. He let us know that in those moments we need to also be happy because ours is the kingdom of heaven. It belongs to us. It's our home. And just like some of the saints in the past who faced persecution to death, 
they, some of them, like I said, they leapt towards it knowing that in just a few moments they were going to be at home. The other night when I was uh, driving home from Georgia and after El Bethel service Friday night, I drove a little faster. Why? Because I was ready to be home. I'd been gone a while and I was ready to be there. But as much as I love home and look forward to being there in a little while, that's not the home that we should really love. We don't get to pick how we're going to go there. It's not my choice if I'm going to go there in a righteous way. That's, that's up to the Lord. Life and death are in his hands. But I hope and I trust, as I've already said, that if the day comes that we see our freedoms taken from us, that you and I would stand faithfully for the cause of Christ and the cause of truth and that if men were to charge us with the crime of Christianity, there'd be plenty of evidence against us. And I trust as Jesus blessed his disciples in the days of the book of Acts, in the days of the epistles, he will bless us just the same. May God bless you today as our prayer.